Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. I'm Mike McCarthy, a football journalist who once had a go at refereeing in primary school. With me, the man who refereed around the world and then became the head of the PGMOL, Keith Hacking. Great to see you. Evening, Mike. Good to see you. Now, this week, VAR goes back in its box. A new face makes his debut in the Premier League. How do you deal with time-wasting and is complaining about the ball being in the quadrant or not at a corner the biggest small gripe left in the game? And a quick heads up as well after some feedback. If you haven't seen an incident that we're discussing, where possible, there's a link in the show notes uh, to a video so you can see it and make up your own mind as well. And a quick heads up, if you are enjoying the show, give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. You know what to do. Right, Keith, plenty to get into then. Let's start with the North London derby. Normally I would say it was keenly contested, uh, but not by Spurs in the first half. Uh, Craig Pawson in charge here had a couple of penalty claims to to deal with. Uh, And before that, the second goal for Arsenal, a claim of a foul in the build-up from Xhaka on Hoybier. Did you see anything wrong with that? Uh, I didn't see anything wrong with that. Uh, I, I, I generally thought that Arsenal dominated the game and Spurs are just going through a, an awful patch. However, on one of those penalty claims, the one that was a foul on Harry Kane inside the penalty area, with Craig Pawson in quite a good position, and he didn't award it. And I just worry that that might be as a result of Kane's, if you like, reputation of going to ground easily. But on this occasion, he was fouled. And um, and then you wait for the VAR coming in to rescue uh, the referee. But he didn't. And I, I was rather disappointed because, for me, it was it was a an easy penalty kick decision at an important time in the game, uh, whether it had... You know, I mean, it would affect the score if they scored. But for me, I think it was an error that Craig could have avoided. Don't know whether that's lack of concentration. You know, a team's 3-0 up. That's the danger, that you suddenly get comfortable. He was having a good game. He got the lighter touch. I think Porson is refereeing really well this season. And um, I think this was one blip. But I can't forgive it because it's a big decision. And goals count. Yeah, yeah. An, an interesting one this as well. And I wonder how much of reaction that is to last week where there was a, a lot of interference from VARs into perhaps issues that weren't clear and obvious. But here's one that is. And all of a sudden there's perhaps a reticence to get involved and the pendulum has swung back the other way this weekend. Yeah, that's the danger, isn't it? I mean, the, the thing is that you want you want balance with VAR. But again, it's down to the individual who's the VAR because personalities change, refereeing experiences change. This was a big game. I, I would have liked, if you like, in that in that situation, a, a more competent outcome. It wasn't there. The VAR, in fact, is Stuart Atwell, who spent the summer in Euro 20s as a VAR official. So he's should be top draw. But on this one... He probably thought, you know, this is the dilemma, I think, when you sat in that desk, is is the, is the decision made by Craig Pawson a clear and obvious error? And then it's down to an opinion of that individual referee like Atwell. For me, that's a clear and obvious error. I think it was a simple one. What's it like actually refereeing 
a derby game. You know, Craig Pawson, you mentioned he had a good game there. How well did he manage the situation, the game itself? Uh, because these sort of occasions, if you're not in control, they can get away from you very, very quickly, I'd imagine. Yeah, what you've got to do in that first opening 10 minutes is allow to a little bit of tolerance because quite often players know each other slightly different in a London, London derby to perhaps Ipswich, uh, Norwich, uh, Liverpool derbies, Manchester derbies, uh, where sometimes they're going out to the same nightclubs and various other areas that, that bring them together and might bring them in conflict. I think the first 10 minutes is important. One, that you don't overreact, because you as a referee know it's a big match. The atmosphere is absolutely buzzing. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a few. I've been lucky to do a few. And you're saying to yourself, calm down, calm down. Don't jump in. Uh, and allow the game to breathe a bit. But at the same time, these players also know that they might get away with one. You've also got to be mindful of that. Uh, so sometimes uh, I've gone pretty close to where a challenge is going to be going to be made and start shouting, be careful, be careful, just to make my presence known that I'm in the vicinity watching. But um, they're great to have. I'm telling you as a, as, as a referee that, that's done derbies, uh, they're, just, they're just fabulous. Um, you can stay out of them. More often than not, the players want to play. There's, there's this lift of the crowd, which is intense. And uh, they don't want you interfering. So I think the tolerance level, we talked about the boiling kettle. I think they can get warm and a little bit hot, the water, uh, in terms of your tolerance level. You just allow a bit more. And in fairness to Craig Porson, he did just that. I thought he had, I thought he had a good game, uh, despite that disagreement that I have with him on the, on the penalty kick decision. It didn't actually affect the outcome of the match. A different kind of intensity perhaps when Chelsea met Manchester City, two title favourites at Stamford Bridge and Michael Oliver in charge of this one. Not an awful lot for him to, to deal with. However, a challenge in around the sixth minute from Rudiger is getting a lot of heat on social media over the weekend. Stills have made it look one way. The video itself perhaps makes it a little bit different. What's your interpretation here, Keith? Because he appears to leave the ground with two feet, but the challenge itself doesn't make any contact with the opponent. So where does the, the law stand here? Well, uh, the law is clear in terms of uh, excessive force challenges that endanger the safety of an opponent. And if you launch yourself off the ground with two feet, or one or both feet forward, you're out of control. And then you're watching to some degree for the outcome. And that, that outcome could well be that you miss. And in this situation, when you look at the still that I've seen, uh, he's off the ground. Now, one of the things that I've also learned is that camera positions, we now see not the photographer often holding the camera, but we see the camera positioned on the ground looking. And, and that can give you this, uh, if you like, interpretation that the player is higher off the ground than he is. But nonetheless, that still says he's off the ground. Therefore, he's out of control. Now you watch the outcome. And the outcome was, it doesn't matter if he plays the ball and, and then the man. 
um, those situations come into into account. The thing that I couldn't determine on the video was whether excessive force had come into play. And therefore, I think for the referee, it's a difficult one because he's going away from him and the body could well be covering the feet. VAR is there and didn't come in. So one assumes that in all the angles that they had, they had the video clip that we saw where, in fact, it didn't look as though there was any malice. It didn't look as though it was endangering the safety of an opponent. And there might have been some yardage in it, but nonetheless, he brought the player down. So here's the dilemma that the referee faces. You know, if you're going to issue a red card for endangering the safety of an opponent, you need to be 100%. And therefore, I can go either way. I, if I was the referee, I'd want to be able to see it clearly. If I saw it clearly, the player's off the ground. I'm, I'm ticking towards pulling the red card out of my top pocket. Uh, but on this occasion, I think there was some ground for scope for the referee to, to not give a red. But nonetheless, I think it was a foul that should have been penalised and the minimum should have been a yellow card. Let's go to Old Trafford next. Uh, Manchester United, Aston Villa, a game decided very, very late on and, and a couple of key decisions ultimately making the scoreline what it was. So let's start with the goal for Aston Villa and just... To go back a week earlier, Brighton-Leicester, the, the example has been made in terms of Harvey Barnes interfering with the goalkeeper. Here, Ollie Watkins is deemed not to be interfering with the goalkeeper. And you get an awful lot from fans. Well, these are exactly the same. Are they, Keith, exactly the same? Are there differences here? One has been allowed to stand, one hasn't. Can you tell me why? Yeah, because I think the law allows the referee to interpret in terms of interfering with an opponent. And, and what he's determining is the path of the ball. You know, there's a position, clearly a player can stand in an offside position and not be penalised. But here it is the path of the ball. And did the path of the ball and the player interfere with the opponent? And I can understand fans dilemma saying one week it's given and another week it's not because in a sense it's down to interpretation of the referee this is where the pgml has a and the management of the pgml that i've mentioned before getting referees together seeing and viewing these types of clips and the, the ones that we we discuss week in week out and they themselves discussing them to try to get a uniform interpretation by the match referee to have the confidence if need be to pull it out or to award it and th and this is where you get the confusion in fans in terms of uh, interfering with an opponent there was another incident in that game which i thought was quite interesting and that was um, harry maguire harry maguire's not the quickest and uh, mcginn was inside his own half making some pace down the left wing when uh, Maguire, I think, was at well out of position, he just grabbed him and held him back. And I was rather surprised that um, the referee, Mike Dean, knowing Mike Dean, uh, he didn't pull a yellow card out. I think there's the lighter touch 
and Mike Dean might have taken this pendulum the other way because that, that's a clear yellow card, Mike, and uh, Maguire was lucky to get away with it. Well, yeah, I mean, even we were discussing a few weeks ago whether that sort of challenge there could be even something more uh, that referees would be able to do in that sort of situation, a, a taking one for the team uh, sort of uh, challenge. Uh, the handball given against uh, Hauser of Aston Villa for Fernandez's penalty that was ultimately missed, uh, Villa weren't particularly happy about it. Uh, yeah. There is, a, I guess, the argument that you can have a natural movement in terms of your arms and they don't, you don't have to walk around like a penguin in the penalty area. Did they have a point here? Well, I think the scenario here is the judgment is that the that the hand is a bit further out than what one would deem natural. So I think that looking at that, I'd support the decision of the handball a hundred percent. I don't think there's any leeway. I think this is this is obviously a difficulty for the for the players because you know. He might consider it natural, and I'm, as a referee, differing with his opinion. But generally, it's away from the body, and it's sufficient for a penalty kick to be awarded and deemed handball. Can we talk then? We'll move on uh, to more stuff from VAR and, and a little bit of praise as well for Jared Gillett uh, a bit later in the show. But uh, dealing with time wasting is something I wanted to ask you in a bit mm-hmm. more detail. There's a couple of games we can pinpoint. Uh, Leicester Burnley at the King Power Stadium, Southampton Wolves at St Mary's uh, from Saturday and Sunday, respectively. In both instances, there were teams trying to hold on to what they had and essentially trying to delay the game. To uh, an extent, in the first half of the Leicester Burnley game where uh, Cornet had got himself injured, had a hamstring injury, left the field of play, came back onto the field of play and then went down uh, to make sure the game was stopped. He was booked for that, by the way. Mm. Uh, Southampton Wolves, you had a lot of Wolves players, particularly towards the end of the game, where if I was the strength and conditioning coach of Wolves, I would be very concerned about the number of players who seem to be going down with cramp uh, towards the end of that game. How do you stop players taking liberties, if indeed that is what was happening in those two games, with essentially... Game management, which is the guess the modern terminology for running down the clock. Time wasting and time consuming is a is a, a sort of fine line, and it's a referee's judgment. The only thing I can suggest to a referee is that time wasting starts from minute one, and in particular, if you know, in the old European Cup days, if you got a team in the first leg, invariably what you had was the away team just playing 11 deep in defence and hoping for a breakaway so that the away goal rule might come into play, but the opposition don't score. So effectively, it was a tactic that was in itself wrapped up in time delay. You see it throughout the season. Teams that are bottom of the league know full well every minute that they consume or waste is, is a less opportunity for the top team to score. So referees have to be aware. The way you do that is at a corner kick, you might say to the goalkeeper, look, can you be a bit quicker on the corner, the goal kicks? You can speed up the process because you'll get it around free kicks where the defending team will anger around. This weekend, I think there's been a problem where penalty kicks have been awarded and uh, we're not seeing 
the referee working hard enough to get the defending players away. And I think that that in itself needs to be acted upon and acted upon fairly quickly. It's quite challenging, that situation, isn't it? Because if you've got six or seven players, for example, that you've got to disperse from a penalty area, you can't book all six, presumably. So, I well, mean, making um, an example of someone yeah. might seem harsh, but is that the way you have to go? Well, I think that's re really the first thing is you have a quiet word with a goalkeeper if he's delaying often they do you can have a uh, you know the management process of situations like throwing positions don't let them take the throw in and then tell them where it should be the frustrating bits and then you you can go public you call the captain over you point to your watch everybody knows and then the next time you yell a card somebody and you pick the appropriate time to to caution if need be a player but i think it's more about you know I've watched a lot of games like you, Mike, and one of the worst timekeepers, uh, if you like, people to waste time is the, is the referee himself. They, they do at times overindulge. Uh, free kicks take too long. Throw-ins take too long because they're, re they're reacting too late. So for me, I think it's about game management. I think it's about coming in quickly. I think it's doing a lot of talking, using the whistle from distance, doing the Alex Ferguson, pointing at the watch. There are many things that you can do to actually avoid it. But the ultimate is a yellow card. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, excessive delays are the point at which a referee would, would stop the watch and go, right, OK, I'm going to add this on, as it were. But how do you judge what is ex excessive and what is just a slightly longer goal kick, for example, where a team is trying to eke out as much time out of any dead ball situation? Well, I think you see it when the ball goes out right-hand side of the goal and the goalkeeper goes and collects it and then decides he's going to take it from the other end of the goal when you know that most of his kicks have been at the one nearest. I can tell you that some years ago at Leeds United, I was running the line for Jack Taylor and he said to me, you watch when they go a goal up. And I said, yeah, what? Well, you watch. And I was watching, they, go, they went to call up. <laughs> the ball boys disappeared. <laughs> you know, they'd gone. And then, of course, we had, initially in the Premier League, we had the multi-ball system to try and avoid a problem. But what was then happening was, uh, I think, Phil Brown was Bolton's assistant manager. He had this habit of throwing a ball on when things got a bit naughty, uh, i.e. they were on the attack and all of a sudden you'd see a second ball rolling on. And you knew it was in, but you, you couldn't spot it. So I think there, there are all sorts of things that do take place that can frustrate, and referees have to be aware of it. And if they're not aware of it, they're going to get caught out and it's going to escalate. The one thing I'm noticing this season is... I, I think that with all the sort of comments about independent timekeepers' possibility and all those things and spectators not getting value for money because of all the amount of time lost, these are all things that have to be taken into account. I was interested in a comment on the TV today where the, the commentator said, well, of course, any time sort of lost is, is controlled by the fourth official now. 
I just wondered, just a minute, Law 5 says the sole timekeeper is the referee. Uh, so if they've done that, the PGML, we should know. But I suspect that, that that might be the case that it's done below the line, out of vision. But I do recognise that in recent times, we seem to be getting, instead of three, we're having between four and six added on now. But it's still a guess for me. Because it's too consistent, the amount of time that's added on by referees. <laughs> um, now, we mentioned uh, VAR at the start with it with the North London derby. But I think it's fair to say a lot has gone well uh, with VAR this weekend. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, Brentford-Liverpool, uh, Mo Salah's 100th Liverpool goal was initially ruled offside, but reversed by VAR. Uh, Leeds against West Ham, Antonio correctly ruled to have fouled Melier, the Leeds United goalkeeper, after an on-pitch review there. Uh, an on-pitch review at Everton-Norwich saw Everton get a penalty, which David Coote hadn't awarded initially. Uh, Chris Wood's uh, winning goal, well, he thought it was, uh, for Burnley at Leicester, ruled offside. Again, VAR, uh, in that case, coming to Leicester's rescue. And Josh King, thinking he'd won it uh, for Watford against Newcastle, but again, the offside coming to the aid of VAR. Has it been, a, on the whole, a much better week, Keith, would you say? Yes, I would. Um, I, I think that um, I think they're sticking to the clear and obvious, generally, apart from the Craig Pawson incident. I do think the VAR in the game that David Coote was the referee, that was uh, Everton-Norwich. I was slightly disappointed with the referee, David Coote, because he was in a great position. I didn't seem to make a decision. Physically, didn't point to the penalty mark, didn't do anything. And so in a way, there were seconds of limbo. And I'm saying, come on, what's the decision? And VAR came in on what was a pretty obvious penalty kick. And we got it in the end. But how we got there, viewing the monitor, okay, I'm encouraging that because it sells the decision. But I just think David in his position should have awarded that pretty promptly and and then review it. Don't worry if you've got it wrong. You know, you don't have to be perfect. And I think that, I think generally the VAR is settling down. The broader line's been used, uh, although I think there was one which, you know, I think at Burnley was Still type, very, very close. Type, but I, I guess it's call. more acceptable now. I think people kind yeah. of, fans seem to... Uh, be a little less frustrated. Well, I think I think I think there are two major areas. I think that's an area of improvement. I think the other thing is that we're not seeing this over delay of every goal being scored, and then there's this this long pause whilst they check it. That's been done silently, and I think that has benefited the use. But hey, three years in, they ought to be much better. It's taken them three years to get there. And therefore, I'm pleased they've got there, but it took far, far too long. I mean, the way the PGML handled the uh, the VAR introduction has been was a disaster. It was pretty poor management because there were examples around the world, particularly MLS uh, and the and the Dutch, uh, where they could have seen what was happening and and transferred what was happening positively in America and in in Holland to our game in the UK. They didn't. They took the English view of uh, we know what's best. But, you know, it was the Dutch who introduced the broader line on broadcast. So they take the credit for me for 
reducing, if you like, this nonsense of VAR in on offsides. So, but hey, come on. I'm not being too negative here. It's definitely working much better and, and great that that is the case. And this is a show where we do like to praise good Absolutely. work referees. And let's do that because yeah. uh, Jared Gillett, big yes. moment for him this weekend. Huge. Uh, taking on Watford, Newcastle. And he got there was there was one big call in the game. Was it a penalty? Oh. Willock fouled just outside the area and he was bang on. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I... I watched interpretation because in 2008, I set up an arrangement of a, of a one-way exchange program, Mike, uh, the, when I was boss's BJMOL. I liaised with a guy called Ted Kearney, who was a coach in Brisbane, and also the chairman of the referees in uh, New Zealand, and we brought referees across. And Jared came across in 2008 he spent time with the referees. He trained with them. Like there were there were one or two referees that came across at the time, uh, as part of an annual program. He, he refereed a, an under eighteen academy game, at Birmingham Derby, and I think did really well. Went back to Australia. Ted Kearney is an outstanding referee coach. You know the other referee that came was Chris Beath. And Chris Beath now is is the Australian number one referee and I think had the Olympic Games final. They come, they see the dedication of the professional referees. They see the structure of training, nutrition, discussion on decision-making. Hopefully that, that continues today to some degree. And the, the value of a coach. Now, I'd, I, think, I think the value of coaches in the PGML have not been as good as when I was fortunate, I had people like Trevor Simpson and Paul Durkin and others who were pretty outstanding coaches. But nonetheless, um, he came, he grew in Australia. I think it gave him the enthusiasm. And then he, he came to England and did some, to do some research work at Liverpool John Moores. And I was really pleased that the PGML, Mike Riley and the FA said, yeah, he can come in to our country and he can actually come on to the panel. You know, in the past, uh, we had a guy called Joe Timmons, who was a Scottish league referee, Premier League referee. And he came to England and he refereed on the Football League. He lived in Newcastle for a spell as a bank manager. And so I'm pleased that Jared did the game. I thought it was an outstanding decision. He was he, he's fit, he's mobile. Uh, I'm not too keen on his running style, but that's another thing. He, he needs to go to a running coach. But, yeah, I, I guess with some pride, Ted Kearney and a lot of his Australian colleagues will have been watching the match and would be pretty happy with what they saw. Just talk to me about his running style then, Keith. What is it that you need... I mean, forgive me, how many different ways are there that you can run? Well, the, the, the danger is that you can be too vertical and you're inefficient. The, the reason I, uh, I picked this up was um, I once met up with a guy from, I think it was Bath University, Bristol University, that was into biomechanics and, and started talking about the area of the running styles and the efficiency. You know, I, I smile when I watch John Moss because I don't know what his running style is. Um, but... <laughs> You know, and, and in a sense, the upper body is moving pretty fast. But down below, uh, I think that 
it just needs to have a better running style, look more athletic. The point I'm trying to make, I suppose, is that when I put a high-speed camera on the referees, most of them were pretty vertical. And what was happening was their running style's vertical, and then they need to move quickly. And there's a there's a, a sort of almost like a rubber band. They go backwards first before they go forward. You see that on a very high-speed film. So they're running, and then they've got to go quickly. They go back three seconds. Well, people like top-level, you know, people like Jamie Vardy and others that move at pace are moving at pace at seven metres per second. So if you're three seconds going backwards before you go forwards, you're 21 metres down. And when you're dealing with the elite level of, of referees, you want them to be athletic. You know, it's it, it's a game that's changed. You know, you kind of running styles like mine and, and others, they need to be more athletic. And if you look in Europe, you'll see that the referees' age profile is lower and they're much, they're much fitter. And I think we've got, you know, I've said it before, I think we've got too many referees over the age of 50 that are more towards the retirement age. And then I look at the younger guys, and we've got to think, we've brought four new referees on. We've only used one so far, Jared Gillett. So I, th I think the whole aspect is you're operating in a, a world of speed. The expectation is the referee's going to run 11,500 metres per game minimum, 50 sprints, and 1,000 metres at 7 metres per second. And if, if you're not hitting those average targets, then you've got to be looking at that referee in terms of his overall fitness and you can and the efficiency gains. If you watched um, Howard Webb on a on a single cam, and we we put cams on referees, by the way, we have a trailing them, so we can in, interrogate this level of performance. With Howard, initially he was flat-footed when he turned; he needed to change direction, and that that potentially was a risk of Achilles tendon damage or damage to the feet area. And so uh, Howard almost naturally developed a skip in his style. So digressing here. No, I, I'm absolutely fascinated, Keith, because I had no idea just how granular this could get. Well, if you look at American football, Mike, I went to Tulsa to referee a football match because I spent some time in America on North American Soccer League, and therefore I suddenly gained interest in watching American football. And then I went to Tulsa and joined a training camp of Tulsa, whatever they call them. And I've got to tell you, it's pretty tough. I was a young, fit guy there, really fit, but I was not at the fitness levels of some of these American guys who were loads heavier than me i've got to tell you that and i wouldn't i wouldn't have wanted to get in the way but one of the things that they did and this is just digressing slightly is that there was a about 50 yards on in the training ground of tires so if you look down you had a range of about six tires by about i don't know 50 or 60 and some were different colors and uh, they would have the athletes, the, if you like, the American footballers, standing there and 
than having to run. And of course, the movement is less flat. It's more into the tyre and out of the tyre. So you don't fall over. And a few did fall over. And then they were asked to hit the red or hit the yellow tyre and all that goes with it. And I sort of said to the sports scientist that was working and the the coach that was working with them, why the tyres? It was, in fact, to get a higher foot lift so that if they were hit by an opponent, uh, they had some time for the foot to come down and to gain balance. So when you when you get into try, working with elite athletes, you've really got to get into the detail. And if you know, I spent some time with Dave Brailsford and his team, well, at least one of them, looking at how they work with the cyclists, the Olympic cyclists. And you'd be amazed. They've got close-up cameras that actually film the surface of the track. So before the World Championships or the Olympic Games, they're filming the track surface, Mike, to determine where to get the best friction of the tyre on the track. Right. And, and this, is, this is the detail that people go into when you're dealing with uh, elite athletes. And it should be no different in refereeing. It should be no different in football, in truth. Uh, now, we know that in football, there's a, an adage of ten, you do things 10,000 times, the, the body moves then naturally, it, it becomes the mechanics operate naturally. And in a sense, that's part of refereeing. The, the more games you get, suddenly enough, the better you become, just like the golfer. Although I think in golf, watching some of our guys this weekend, the more they play, the worse they get. But that's Well, uh, yeah, as, as we record, it does look like... Uh... Europe are heading to a, a miserable defeat, but yeah. uh, well, uh, well, maybe there's going to be a remarkable turnaround between yeah. this episode being recorded and that's uh, actually publishing it, Keith. A um, yeah. bit more praise to hand out. Uh, Chris Kavanagh, a really good advantage played oh. uh, in the Leicester Burnley game to allow Jamie Vardy, no one can keep up with him, even the best referees, I don't think, uh, to score his first uh, in that game at the King Power. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there was a clear foul. It was inside Leicester's half, near the technical area. He just hesitated. He just gave himself, I'm seeing, I'm recognising, I'm thinking, and now I'm applying, applying an advantage. It was a brilliant piece of refereeing, made better by the fact that Vardy gives you that, that if you like, not a guarantee, but he gives you uh, the increased option that, hey, you, you don't want to be blowing the whistle when Vardy's in possession of the ball heading for goal. That's the last thing you want to do. But this was deep into... No, it was it was 10 yards into the Leicester half. It was a good decision, really good advantage. And one other uh, bit of praise to hand out. The, the game of the season so far in a lot of people's minds, uh, Brentford-Liverpool, Stuart Atwell taking charge of it, and we barely have to mention his contribution to the game because he just let the game happen. Brentford-Liverpool, yeah. it, was, it was remarkable. And often the best games are the ones where we don't have to talk about the officials at all, Keith. And we should recognise that. Absolutely. I, I just, um, I think Stuart will, last season was one of the referees that had really improved. And I think this season he's got the confidence. I mean, I, I praised him on his fitness and mobility. He looks athletic. He's a young guy, really. Is His running style, is it? Is it the right sort of running style, Keith? Well, I might, I, for me... Is he in the right place at the right time to make the right decision? That's the important bit. The other bit is, if you like, uh, 
putting the icing on the cake. I just think the game is more athletic than it used to be in my time. And therefore, I think there's a demand that you want, I don't know, the age profile of referees to be a bit closer to that of players. And I think that's where Oliver comes in. I think it's where, in fairness, Porson and, and uh, Kavana come in. The younger guys, Atwell in particular, I think Atwell's having a remarkable season. I think for me, he's in number three position and deserves to be there. It was a terrific match, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> it was just like sit back and enjoy it with so much uh, going off. And, and you know, the, 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 the review of the Brentford goal was done efficiently. Yeah. So I think great credit to them. But the team as a whole, because I think this is a, you know, often we talk about the referee, but we've got the assistant referees, we've got the VAR coming into play. They just allowed and said, right, OK, we'll sit back and enjoy it. Now, of course, you can get in touch with the show anytime. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address, or you can send us a tweet like Paul did this week uh, saying this. Can we talk about the ball not being in the quadrants at corners? It's a bugbear of mine. Uh, as long as the outer one millimetre of the ball dissects one millimetre of the white line, it's okay. So the rules, uh, players always place the ball on the absolute limit or even outside the quadrant when the assistant isn't on the same side of the pitch. Look, this clearly infuriates fans, but the gains from doing something like this are clearly very negligible. Um, how do you manage technical breaches of the law like this, Keith? Uh, by word, initially. Sometimes if you suspect that the ball's been placed incorrectly and your assistant's saying, look, that's, that looks a bit too far out, then you'll walk towards the uh, the player and say, hey, put it back. I'm not happy. You see that much rarer now because I think that generally it's one of those laws that, and I think that, you know, that you've got creep and creep is that they just put the ball down and get on with it. I mean, that you know, there are as many fans who are saying the referee's too pedantic when he gets involved with that sort of thing. And we're not to a yard ref, just get on with the game and get out of it. And therefore, it's getting this balance. For me, it's it's a little bit, if the team's been a bit naughty and not listening to what you're going to say, then you can be pedantic. And believe me, I could have been, I was quite naughty at that. You know, I was to the inch then on 9.15, 10 yards. To, to the teams that responded reasonably, it might have been nine nine and a half or whatever. And, th and that was okay for me. So I didn't want to be the referee that applies the laws of the game 100%. Because if we did, uh, we would still be refereeing in terms of time <laughs> it takes to do a match. This is why I like the lighter touch, Mike. The lighter touch is saying this is to, has moved a little bit towards the 80s, 90s, how we used to referee, with a bit of personality. And, you know, get on with the game. And it's a little bit like the comment that was made that we referred to a couple of weeks ago with, with Mike Dean having played a wonderful advantage of walking past the player and going 1-0 Mike Dean, having played the advantage. Now, there's a time to say that and there's a time <laughs> not to say it. But for me, that... Look, let's let let referees be human. You know, we talked, didn't we, again a couple of weeks ago about a referee in your son's game 
talking to the players, advises them on the laws of the game. It's no different. Let's be seen to be human. And this is why I want the running style to look similar to a player. Let us look like athletes rather than sort of old grey human beings who are accused of being detached from the game when we're clearly not. You know, I mean, referees put in a great deal of effort to get physically fit. And the 50-year-olds on the, on the Premier League you know, fitter than some of the younger guys. Well, look, if you've got a question or a comment, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address. You can get in touch on Twitter at seen underscore them underscore given. Uh, if you want to propose a change in the law, something you've seen at the weekend, you want to praise a referee that you've seen, uh, do get in touch with the show. We'd love to hear from you. If you stay with us for the whole show, thanks again uh, for being with us. And of course, new episodes, if you're new to this, are out every Monday. Uh, on seeing them given if you've enjoyed the show as well just one more plug for this give us a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and it'll help other people discover the show as well for now though keith thanks again for your company thanks mike and we will see you next time